Welcome to Building the Bluegrass, a podcast dedicated to cool stuff made in Kentucky. We want to share with you how it was made, why it was made, and the story behind it. And now, here's your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Built in the Bluegrass, where we highlight uh, Kentucky businesses, particularly those that make things. I wanted to get started today with a brief introduction of the man you see in front of me, Daryl Huff with Huff Technologies. Uh, Daryl, I think I'm pretty excited about this interview because this one is not the same as what you hear from every manufacturing company out there that mass produces or, or does different things to create efficiencies in whatever it is they do for the people that they work for. Uh, Daryl's going to tell us a little bit about why he's in Kentucky, what makes their business successful as it is, and you know, just a little bit about what they do every day. So, uh, good afternoon, Daryl. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing excellent. So, uh, let's start with just you know, the way we have to do everything is to just get a little background on you. So, tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about what your company does, um, how it got started, what it is you do every day, you know, why it is you do the things you do. Uh, graduated from Western Kentucky University in 1981. Oh, my gosh. Um uh, I've worked several places around the country, and we kind of ended up here. And uh, I'm from Owensboro, Kentucky, originally. Uh, we ended up back in uh, this area, uh, mainly because we wanted our kids to know their grandparents a little bit. And then we um, were working. Uh, uh, the reason we moved back here, the job ended about two years after we moved back. And so we just kind of decided to start our own business at didn't seem to be a better place to do it than here with low overhead and low cost for everything. And it's like my wife says that uh, we're just UPS away from anywhere. So uh, being, we're sort of in, uh, we're in Morganfield, Kentucky, which is kind of uh, off the beaten path out in uh, Western Kentucky. So um, we like it here. Uh, we're, we're close to, to the things we like to do. And uh, we've got plenty of good uh, people working for us. So um, we we just kind of, uh, I mean, we lived in Houston and, and West Virginia and, and uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and back into uh, Fort Payne, Alabama for a while, worked for a company called Heil, making garbage trucks of all things. And then, um, we came back here and uh, started our own business and it's, it's done very well in the last 20 years. So nice. Yeah. Morganfield, Kentucky. I'm uh, I grew up in LaRue County, which has a, a pretty good wrestling program. And we are, our region was in union County. And I remember my grandfather, when we were headed to Morganfield for the first time, he said, there is not a good way to get there. And we may come back a different way than we went. And neither one of them will be better <laughs> than the other. And That's that was, correct. that was pretty true. I mean, there was no good way to get there and it was, you know, it was out in the middle of nowhere. So yep. yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what we're talking about. The, the, you know, you look, talk about what we can do. I can do it from anywhere. And it's only gotten more true as the years have gone on. So let's talk a little bit about what you do every day. What is Huff Technologies? You know, what are the, the things that you create that is unique to your business that makes you thrive, that makes your business thrive? Uh, just tell us you know, your day to day. Oh, we, we don't build anything in particular and we don't build anything that uh, a customer might use like a consumer, I guess. We, we build the things that 
build things that, that consumers use. So someone might come in, uh, for example, right now we're building an assembly line for Kohler generator. And it's a rather huge thing. It's 600 feet long. It's, uh, they'll build the generators along this line and, and they test them and then it automatically boxes them and stacks them and ships them out. Uh, that would be one instance we build. So let me interrupt you and say, so if I'm, if I make that and I know what I need, why do I need you to build it for me? <sighs> Good question. We've been building them assembly lines for Kohler since 2005. Um, and those lines are still running every day. So they've kind of come to the conclusion that there's no, they don't even shop anywhere else. They just call us and when they need a new assembly line and we build it for them because we've, we've got a lot of uh, history and they know what to expect out of our products, that kind of thing. So. So is it fair to say that they, you know, they make their widgets and they don't want to substitute making their widgets. They just tell you the things that make it go smooth and, and you're to implement those type of processes. Is that a fair way of looking at it? Pretty sure. Pretty much. Yes. We build a, we build a, a, um, assembly line, an accumulation type assembly line. If that means anything to anyone that, uh, is kind of unique to us. We have our own patent, our own design and, um, it it's worked very well over the years. So they're, they're happy with our products and we build these for other people as well. But uh, Kohler is our biggest uh, uh, customer for that kind of a product. We also build a lot of testing equipment. We test anything from uh, engine parts. Let me take that back. We build testing equipment for people that they use to test engine parts, um, radiators, um, all manner of, of uh, interior components like shifters uh, in cars. Um, uh, one of our bigger customers we, we do for uh, is GM Proving Grounds. They like to get certain, uh, certain equipment that we build that, that they've uh, made their world standard for testing certain things with because we've worked with them over the years and build build uh, items that that simulate how a person would use these items and they uh, both do durability testing and they build R&D type testing to prove these things out. A lot of these things have gone really high-end electronic now so we do a lot of the CAN bus systems and the scent and the ant and every other communication protocol that these cars go through so we can hook to these and move them and check check uh, the communications and find out what sensors are working and not that kind of thing. So, is the whenever you talk about testing equipment to us uh, mechanically inclined or not inclined people out there? So you're just talking about quality controls. You're making sure that it's going to come out the way you intended it, and then you're making sure whatever the prototype is that comes out that it works like it's supposed to, and you can sell that to people. Is there any accreditations that go along with that, or do you? Like who tests you? Who makes sure that, you know, I guess your ultimate customer, but besides that? Well, ultimately, the customer is responsible for the test. Uh, like GM has a, 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 like to test a certain type of shifter. They have a 50-page document that says what they have to do and, and what temperatures and the, uh, that sort of thing. And we just produce the equipment, but, but they, I mean, we calibrate them, that sort of thing. but. 
they're pretty much responsible for the end use of it um, for that matter. Cool. So whenever it comes to, you said you're basically all you do is create, you know, prototypes. You said, you know, you don't make the same thing twice. What is, so the people that you work for typically, typically just come back to you for additional items within their lines or additional, you know, conveyor belts or whatever it is that they may need. How do you go about getting new customers or how do people come to you? Do you find them via trade organizations? How would, what type of business is there out there for uh, finding someone who creates prototypes for people? Um, we do a show in Nova, Michigan every year um, that highlights our testing equipment in the automotive industry. Um, we've also upped our web presence a little bit and uh, done some things like that. We get calls from uh, people in Europe that that have seen the type of equipment we make on our website and they need something similar. Um, Another thing we built, started to build a lot of here recently is a totally different end of the spectrum. It's, it's called an ingot stacker, which works in an aluminum plant. These plants that uh, recycle aluminum and melt it down, uh, these ingots come out really hot. And it's, it, uh, it sounds like a totally different thing, but it's really not. It's still servo motors and, and programming and hardware, that sort of thing. So. Uh, we've built quite a few of those everywhere from California to Minnesota to, to wherever they might be. Um, we, we do, I mean, uh, we built stacking equipment for American Greetings. They were a large customer for years. Uh, 25 systems that stack greeting cards. <laughs> so, uh, like you say, and we enjoy that really. We don't like doing the same thing day in and day out. So we have several engineers here and uh, that we'll just challenge them with a the project and and we sit around some time and group think up ideas and we come up with something and quote it to customer and they like it and they buy it. So let's talk about that. You mentioned questions. you mentioned in that that you know, your engineers or your people. And if I'm creating something new every time, this isn't Henry Ford's assembly line. You know, I'm not, I'm not just plugging my screw in. You have to have people who are presumably creative, you know, talented, yes. experienced, whatever it may be. Morganfield, Kentucky is not New York city or Houston, Texas. What are you, <laughs> you know, how let's talk about your talent pool or what, what is working with Western Kentucky and what is not when it comes to your talent pool and how are you getting those people to come to you and stay with you? Uh, we've got a couple of engineers that have worked with us for one for going on 10 years. He's from, he does all of our PLC programming, some of our PC type programming. He's, he lives in Henderson, which is 20 minutes away. Uh, another engineer that's been here five years now, he graduated from Western as well. Um, he lives in uh, Henderson. Um, my daughter works for us now. She's got a PhD from Vanderbilt. She lives in Owensboro and drives over here every day. It's a little bit of a drive out here. Um, I live six minutes away. That's the best part for me. But um, it and and we don't have much turnover really. We pay well. Uh, we're try to be fairly generous with bonuses and time off if necessary. That kind of thing. And, I think 
for the most part, people live in this area and want to stay in this area. So um, it's a good fit for both of us. So a talent pool hasn't been a problem then. You know, you mentioned your daughter, what's that? Obviously she maybe knew she had a job, but in general, do you feel like if you try to grow or you try to scale up with what you're doing in your operations, are you going to have trouble getting people who can, you know, prototype or create this high level? Or do you feel like Western Kentucky, you can recruit just as good as anywhere? I I think at first people, you know, any, any young person coming out of college wants to live in Seattle or someplace like that. But uh, the reality is, um, I would say, yeah, we might have a little trouble, but people that are from this area generally want to stay in this area. They don't really want to move to crazy places and work. So I don't think we would have a, a problem scaling up. That's not really been our goal is to be a huge company. But uh, if if we wanted to, I think we would be in pretty good shape. We We have other factories around here that bring in engineers from everywhere. And, um, they work in this area and, and they like it. They enjoy it here. So good. So you mentioned a little bit whenever we first started talking about why you chose Kentucky, you were here, you could do it from anywhere, but usually whenever we're having a deep conversation with somebody about what makes them successful, there's something like it's either there's the culture, the employees understand it. Um, maybe it's, the leadership coming down, it just explains how things work. What do you think it is about your company that has made your company successful what, within the culture, within the people, whatever it may be? Because, you know, if for you to, you know, it, this sounds like it's one job and you're done. So you just constantly have to resell yourselves, it seems, that, you know, we're yeah, going to. And I'll be honest with you, yeah, that gets a little old every now and then, but uh, if it's kind of like you can't you can't be worried about that. If you are, you need to be in another business because the, the work always seems to come. And uh, we've, we've been out there enough that we've got enough stuff in the field that people see that. And, um, and they, they call us and uh, being here is a, a big advantage is that it's, it's low cost of living. If, if we had to start up this business in a Seattle per se, you couldn't do it. The, the, it would be so expensive. You couldn't, you couldn't hang on. You couldn't survive. But uh, here where we are, cost of living is very, very good. People have very good work ethic here. You know, it's, uh, I'll just have to say, anytime we need people to work over or do more or put a little extra out, they, they do. And, and uh, you don't find that everywhere. I've worked around a lot of places in the country and you just don't find that everywhere. Yeah, that's and that's what I'm going for is, you know, you mentioned like there's you know, a lot of times I'll pick up on something that you say that really makes me think. And you mentioned, call, you know, you talked about the cost of living and, and you couldn't do it elsewhere. So some of these things are capital intensive to get started. You know, whenever any time that somebody's, I guess, paying you to create a big, expensive, big, expensive piece of equipment, you know, that's that costs something. Financing of equipment's not easy. You know, that almost always mm -hmm. has to be done SBA or something. You know, they're not taking real estate as collateral from a banking perspective. So yeah, tell us a little bit about how and why whenever you do create this for someone, like how and why do they, I guess it was right the first time, but what are they doing with your equipment to create a repeat customer? So you say reselling, you know, that can be a little annoying at times, 
but how are they continuing on? Is it, do you get a lot of business from word of mouth? Does it go from this person who does what they do? Because as I've mentioned in multiple uh, episodes of this podcast, we don't find manufacturers talking to each other nearly enough. You know, whenever you're a little unique that maybe you do talk to them more, but we don't find manufacturers talking to one another near enough. How does word spread or how do you keep reinventing yourself? Uh, the word doesn't spread very well normally. Uh, I've noticed that it doesn't. I mean, even within companies, we've noticed we we work for several companies that are in the same family, the under the same ownership. They don't even talk to each other, so it's it's very difficult to get that sort of thing across. But uh, I'll give you a little for instance. Back in the late '90s, we built. When I was first getting started, before I even had a building, we were building dynamometers in our garage outside our house. And we probably built, gosh, uh, 10 or 15 dynamometers for different companies. And uh, one of them was for the, the Polaris Racing Group. Of all, of all things in Kentucky, we were building dynamometers for snowmobile people. So um, Polaris Racing Group had one of our dynamometers and, and the Polaris factory was touring that. And we, the best thing we've ever done is we have a little um, two inch by three inch tag with our name and address, everything on it. And we put the serial number of what we're building on there so we can track it. And the Polaris factory saw that tag and they said, Hey, we need something similar to this for, for something in our factory. So they, they called us and, and uh, next thing you know, and we're, we're building a, an automated dynamometer system for the Victory v, V-Twin engines for Victory motorcycles. And then we built another one. And the next thing you know, we've built, I think, nine or 10 end-of-line test cells for them. So that was kind of a word-of-mouth deal. We had no connections with Polaris, no way to get to them easy, easily because... Most of the time, places won't even take your call. You can't even cold call anyone. No one will take your call. But then after that, Kohler was visiting Polaris because they weren't really direct competitors in anything. They just wanted to see how each other did things. And uh, Kohler says, hey, we need these test cells on our line that, that we're trying to build. And so we quote those test cells. And then I said, hey, won't you give us a shot at quoting this line? Because we built somewhat similar things before. And they said, sure, quote it. So we quoted it and ended up building our first multi-million dollar assembly line for uh, Kohler in Hattiesburg. Uh, uh, Mississippi. Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I don't know. I had a brain fade different. And um, since then, we've we've built those. Since 2005, we build one every couple of years for them. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of the way it goes. You, once you get out, it was a struggle for the first several years getting your name out there. But um, and we're engineers here. I'm an engineer. I'm not a business person. Um, we don't know anything about marketing and that sort of thing uh, to, per se. Uh, but... If you have good product and and you solve somebody's problems and the price is right, then the word spreads. So walk me through what you make. So whenever we, you know, you created this product or you got 
you sold them that, hey, this is something I can create for you. Let me show you how this is done. What are you building in your back room? Are you spending one, two, three, four months, four years? I don't know. Creating each prototype, you know, what type of upfront money? You know, how long are you taking it and piecing it together piece by piece and taking it to them as one thing and then they're mass producing it? So I guess start with what it is you create, how long it takes typically, or how long you may put into a project. Then are they taking your project and replicating it? A, do you we'll just let's start there and then we'll get into, do you have any patents or anything? They generally don't replicate it. Um, for instance, um, say uh, right now, a, a little project we're doing, we're building a, a test cell for GM to test the new shifters on Cadillacs. Okay. Well, it's got a lot of crazy electronic stuff in it and they have to know all kinds of things about the timing that these things are sending out signals and when they're pulling it and it has to interface with the car electronics in in the millisecond range all very fast so they come and say hey we 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 may have this problem we want to test this out and um, so what can you do for us to push on this and gather this data very fast you know, and then plot it out so we can look at it and check it out and then go into what they call a durability mode, do this 400,000 times. And let's see what happens after 100 and 100,000 time intervals and things like that. And so that we've done that stuff a lot before and they know it. So we come up with an uh, idea of what we can do in a quote and they sell it to their people and we get a purchase order and start building. And usually something like that's about a 12 week lead time. But then when you go back there and build it, whenever they say, yeah, go, what do you have to build? Or in that testing situation, I guess you wouldn't really be building as much as, you know, just showing how to test it. But what about if you're asked to build a prototype? Well, everything we build is pretty much the prototype. So we have certain things that we use. We have our own machine shop here. Mm. Uh, We have our own engineering. We do our own programming. Uh, so we can control that very well. That's one thing people like. Uh, we're a small company, so we don't have to have uh, 14 vice presidents sign off on every decision, that kind of thing. If we want to do something, we just make that change and we do it. And we can move and be pretty fluid with them, and, and they like that sort of thing. Um not sure if I answered your question or not. Yeah, I just meant, are you building? Like, so whenever you put it together in your back room, you're you're actually building, right? I mean, you're typically building the actual oh, yeah. machine. So and Some of them are huge. Uh, some of them are 600 feet long, you know, and some of them are small. They take up, you know, five square feet of floor space. You just, you just don't know what you're building. But the biggest problems in the right now is, is ordering some things we have to order out, like a servo motor. Obviously, we wouldn't build a servo motor. We we would order a servo motor and a drive, and the craziest things are difficult to get now time-wise. I mean, lead times that used to be a week or two now sometimes are 8 and 10, 12 weeks to get something uh, at the, on the end of this uh, COVID era here. But um, generally, we don't have any projects that take us more than 24 weeks to build even a big assembly line. We can, we've built so many now we kind of got it down. Uh, if we can get the parts in here, we can have it on the ground and 
no more than 28 weeks or so, something like that. Cool. So if we had to hear, I mean, so you don't think about, most people don't think about just something needing to be taken from a raw material into a finished good that, you know, the chair you're sitting on or the bed you're sleeping in. I'll you know, venture to say that the uh, average person doesn't think that whatever it took to produce that piece of furniture took someone creating that prototype that produced mm-hmm. that, you know, whatever it is that made the, the leg of that stool or that you know, right. piece of furniture. So what is one thing about your particular business when it comes to prototype creation or however you describe yourself, what is one thing you wish you that more people knew about that industry? Like that, that this, that it exists or what would be something interesting that people need to know? Yeah, we, we buy a lot of raw material, raw aluminum plate, steel plate. We, we machine it into something that's useful. You know, uh, we have people that do 3d CAD systems that draw it out, uh, shape the model. The customer looks, can see it. It almost looks like a picture when they get done with it. Then uh, we can take that back and machine that into anything we want really on in our machine shops. Um, Well, uh, what would they like to know? Some things people don't realize, like in the car business, if we're testing a shifter now, it won't be put on a car for three years probably. Uh, This stuff goes through massive testing. They don't put something on a car uh, that they're not 100% sure is going to work. But this, you're you're talking about what you do is the initial stage of that three year time period, right? They have they've already built a prototype of some sort, probably, or are in the process of building a prototype, and then it has to go through massive testing, you know, for months and weeks, and and it doesn't always work out. So sometimes they they get two thirds of the way through a test and it fails, and they gotta scratch their head a little bit and and go back and redo something, but. They call it 2X life and 3X life. They want this thing to be tested um, to within an inch of its life. The last thing a car company wants to do is recall 2.5 million shifters, let's say. Or airbags. Airbags or anything like that. So um, they test the crap out of everything. And, um, and it, it's, a good, it's good for us. And it's it's a money saver. Yeah, they may have a hundred thousand dollars in a testing machine, but but one recall of two million parts at three hundred dollars a part, what does that cost? You know, a big number. A lot of things we've done is is not just done the durability, but it does it a lot faster. So they can get these things to market a lot faster. Uh, we we got involved with the the shifter business. Uh, and interior components, we started using linear servos that mimic arm movements and things like that. So they can they can mimic how a person's going to use this thing and put side loading on it. And it, it moves like a person would. And um, they find out things they didn't know before. Certain things wear out that they didn't expect, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. Uh, most people don't even know we we are here, even in our own little town. <laughs> and most of our business is 500 miles away or more. Um, nobody's popular in their hometown. No, that's when we found that a lot of people who were making cool things 
yeah, I mean, maybe their community knew or somebody in their community knew, but largely it wasn't very well known. So if I want to do business with you know, Daryl and Huff Technologies, you know, what type of people are you looking for? If I'm, what is the business that if you had anyone who was listening to this that needs your services, you're basically saying you start with what you need, you tell us what it is, and we can find a way to get it from your idea to your assembly line. Oh gosh, the testing business is is sort of um, confined a lot to not just automotive, but any kind of off road type business that that wants to make sure that their part works and it and it's going to at least get through the warranty, and hopefully four three or four times the warranty. But um, anyone in that kind of business, we've done a lot of. In, di- in a different end of the business, like uh, with the greeting cards and uh, the ingot stackers, thing like that, we do a lot of automated stacking systems, palletizing systems. Um, things come through, through uh, need to be stacked on a pallet or arranged in a certain way or something put in a box uh, and sealed up automatically, that kind of thing. We've done a lot of that kind of work here too. Uh, but I will say in the last several years, the automotive has really ramped up quite a bit, automotive and off-road type type work. Well, you're in a good state for that. I mean, we're- Yep, we are in a good state. As you as you probably know, we work with the Kentucky Association of Manufacturers, and they just recently took over the, you know, the, the automotive industry, the people who make parts for stuff like that for that same association. There's a lot here. Aerospace, mm-hmm. there's a lot here. There's a couple, there's lots of industries that you, know, you didn't know was in Kentucky. All right. Well, Daryl, just to wrap up here, tell us how people can get in touch with you. We will drop your contact information, your website in the in the show notes. But just in case anybody's listening wants to know how to get a hold of you, can you just give us your email address, uh, website, et cetera? There's uh, several ways you can call us. Uh, people still do call <laughs> uh, 270-389-HUFF, which is 4833. Um Email generally, you can get right to me at dhuff at huff dash tech tch dot com. Uh, you can get on our website, send us a, an email or a request for info. We get those all the time, two or three a day usually. Um, we're on. Um, I know we have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram site, that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean. Um, People just walk in sometimes, but very, very few. Most of our customers are from, like I said, 500 miles away. So, um, and that's the beauty of what we're looking for is, you know, how many people didn't know, even people from Union County didn't know this was done in Morganfield, particularly, you know, how many people in Georgetown or Louisville with Ford that, that, you know, didn't realize a lot of this existed, just who knows where they're getting their technology from. I mean, I don't know if, Mm You know, some of those big companies are, are what you're looking for. But the whole idea of this was to make sure we had a clear cut example of, you know, what it is uh, that it is, what it is that you make, how you make it, who wants to you know, use you to help make something. And that's what we wanted to do was just talk about that. So appreciate your time today, Daryl. You have something else you sure. want to chime in there? there? There's always been a myth that anybody close to you can't do what you need done. You have to go somewhere else to get it done in it. That's just not true. Um, you know, agree. we've seen that over the years. The uh, big plant says, oh, we get all of our stuff made out of Detroit or something. And 
you can't possibly do what we need to do, but we end up making it for Detroit <laughs> and they, and it gets back to them. So, you know, you know what I mean? It, it's just not true that local companies aren't just as sophisticated and you can do those things as well. You just have to have to give them a shot at it. Well, and what we hope here is that somebody hears what we have to say and you know, takes a look at your work and that's exactly what they do. So again, appreciate it, Daryl. Thanks for being on another episode of Built in the Bluegrass, where we just want to highlight the things that are made in Kentucky, the people that make them, and why it is they make it. Sounds like you've got an interesting. You know, you're the you're the first one we've interviewed that's that has really said, "Hey, we don't we make the things that make the things," and <laughs> yeah, that's the the first time that we've really had that, and it's been interesting all along. So again, guys, thanks for everyone for listening today, and thanks again for another episode of Built in the Bluegrass. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Built in the Bluegrass. We hope you're leaving this episode with a better understanding of the cool stuff made in Kentucky. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show. This way you'll get notified as new episodes become available. Until next time.